Welcome to InterVR, the podcast where we talk about all things virtual reality. I am your host, Chris Miranda, and on today's show, I am joined by E. McNeil, the creator of Darknet, and uh, also goes by the name of uh, Tetragrammaton. That I just murdered that name uh, on the subreddits. Dude, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Chris. Cool. So, so you are uh, a VR Jam uh, Game Jam winner. La- your last year's VR Game Jam winner. Winner. Um, tell me, man. I have so many questions go- going inside my head that I I don't know where to start. Uh, let's start with what is Darknet and how you wound up in that journey till till now. <laughs> sure. So Darknet is cyberpunk hacking game for the Oculus Rift. Um, you know how all those cyberpunk games have like a hacking mini game. Yes. This is like a hacking maxi game. Um, so it started its journey uh, under the title CS, which was my entry to the VR Jam in, uh, I think, August 2013. Um, the VR Jam was a three-week game-making competition hosted by Oculus and Indiecade, and I'm honored to say that uh, CS was selected as the winner of the Open Call Division Congratulations. Um, for that contest. And so that gave me all the... Uh, validation and, and motivation I needed to turn it into a full title. And so um, since then, I, I spent a few months sort of wrapping up um, other business that I had going on. Um, and then I've I sort of started on development um, in about December mm-hmm. and have been going since then. And uh, just recently, I finally um, announced the game with its new title, um, new art that uh, I got some help with from uh, outside and uh, have been showing the game and uh, demos at... GDC. I'm going to be showing at PAX East in uh, about a week and a half. Wow. And um, I think I'm going to be making the demo public soon as well. That's extremely extremely exciting. I've just I just got to try. You know, um, I, I just went through a quick uh, fly through of, of CS, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. What can we anticipate? Uh, what can we expect uh, for for Darknet? How how will it differentiate itself from uh, CS? Well, uh, the structure of the game is um, fairly similar in that you're still sort of uh, looking at a, an array of nodes that are all connected to each other and affecting each other. Yeah. And you can zoom inside any of those nodes and you're presented with sort of a, um, a, a hacking puzzle. Mm-hmm. And if you solve that, then you capture the node, you get money, you can upgrade your abilities, and you can proceed to more and more difficult nodes. Um, the biggest change from Darknet to CS in terms of the gameplay is that the uh, the nature of that sort of uh, hacking challenge has changed completely. Um, there are structural you know, like there are similarities that you can uh, see between the two versions, but the mechanic is now um, played out on a triangular tiling, like a, a triangular grid, mm-hmm. and it's much more like. Uh, more like a turn-based game, I would say. Um, it's more discreet. It's it's not so much about just overpowering the enemy. Um, oh. It's more about sort of sneaking past them and trying to reach an objective. And it's really difficult to talk about, as you can tell. Um, you know, it's I'm speaking sort of vaguely, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's. I really enjoy abstract gameplay, and um, so that's what a lot of the game is composed of. Um, and it's something that you sort of have to try for yourself to see how it works. You know, and the game in and out of itself feels like it's more or less treading on a on an abstract idea. This idea that you are—I mean, correct me if I'm wrong—you're you're you're a hacker inside this, you know, uh, recreation of the metaverse, trying to uh, attain an, an objective. I mean, if, if that's but mm-hmm. but again, you know, the right. whole the whole metaverse thing is an abstract thing in my mind, and and so that's really cool how you're. I mean, where did you get the inspiration to to put this together from? Um, it's hard for me to say exactly. I I assume that my biggest inspiration was uh, Neuromancer because I can't think of anything else that uh you know might have given me this idea. But um, I didn't particularly enjoy Neuromancer actually. So who knows? All I know is that I've I've had this sort of image in my mind of um, you know a hacker going through this 3D space of, you know, uh, abstract representations of data and, um, you know, 
facing software on its own terms, essentially. What is Neuromancer um, for those who might not know, by the way? Sorry to interrupt. Right. Neuromancer is a, is a classic work of cyberpunk fiction. It's a novel by William Gibson. Um, it was released, I think, in late 80s. I can look this up. Um, yeah, or actually, 1984. Oh, How appropriate. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, it, it sort of was a foundational work of cyberpunk, I would say. Not the first, but, uh, you know, oftentimes people's first encounter with it. And so it, it featured a character who um, was a hacker and sort of described cyberpunk um, in in terms that sort of let people's imagination run wild, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, you could sort of tell that there, it was somebody moving through this, like, 3D space. There was, you know, uh, ice, with, you know, that was fighting back against him and, you know, firewalls and other software. And he's cutting through it, trying to reach data. Um, but it's all just a visual metaphor. And so what appealed to me about this is, um, as a game designer, I could sort of make any gameplay that I wanted to within that theme. Um you know, because it's so so vague, um, you know, so much uh, so flexible according to however you imagine it. Mm-hmm. Um, I could sort of make fun gameplay however I wanted, and then twist the presentation to fit that. Oh. and this is all a concoction straight out of your mind. I mean, is there? Do you have any other partners or any other people working with you? Um, I have some people who are helping me with uh, select elements of development. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, I work with a guy named Michael Heald, who is a uh, really talented artist. And um, so I was able to present him essentially like um, CS, the previous version that I did all myself. And he was able to take that and transform it into something that actually looked good. Because I, I don't have much of a visual mind myself. And um, I'm really happy with the, the new art direction he brought to it. Nice. And then, are you, I mean, walk me through uh, your background. How did you wound up becoming a virtual reality developer? Um, well, I've been, I've been developing games in some sense for a really long time, um, maybe nine years or so, um, if you, you go all the way back. Um, I've been indie for about a year and a half, and a lot of that time was sort of spent prototyping, trying to figure out, a, you know, a good project that was really worthy of my attention and time. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the big challenges for indies is how to stand out, especially if you're a new indie or especially if it's a really crowded field. Like um, mobile games, for example, were a really promising environment for indies early on, and now they're kind of overcrowded. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that you can't find success, but, you know, it's difficult. And so I, I was sort of interested in... Uh, newer emerging platforms. So I, I did like a, a little prototype for the Leap Motion when that was, um, you know, first coming out. Uh, I made a game for the launch of the Ouya, um, and that actually also started as like a, for a sponsored game jam. Hmm. Ouya did a 10-day game jam, I made a game for that, and then I produced it further up to release. Um, and then apparently my, my pattern is making games for the launch of kickstarted hardware because the next thing that i did was i got my oculus rift and i heard about this game jam and decided i would do that nice um and winning the game jam just sort of was like my signal that yeah this is the one yeah and and so nine years as a, a game developer working in the industry I, I i would imagine i mean what was that like no no okay uh so i i say nine years but that's like nine years from the very first time that I started, you know, hacking together terrible Java code as a student into mm-hmm. something that could be called a game, mm-hmm. um, which which I think is, you know, I, th- I think that's the right place to sort of start, uh, mark the beginning of your journey as a game developer. In terms of professional game development, though, it's been much shorter. Um, I did a little bit of work uh, interning during college for some AAA game studios. I worked with Bethesda Softworks on uh, the, the Fallout series, and I did a little bit of tech design work with Sony Santa Monica on the God of War Ascension game. Whoa. Um, and then I I spent a year as the lead game designer of a company that did not make any games, which is a little complicated. That sounds um, complicated. Yes. They were a, a government contractor, and I, I was mostly working as like a, a UI designer for them. Um and then 
but I, but I had the title of lead game designer because that's where my real interest was. Um, and so I, I saved up some money during that time, and that gave me the ability to go indie for real about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, What's it been like so far going going indie? Uh, a little scary in some ways, but really really nice. Um, I mean, working for yourself is uh, is great in many ways because you can you know flexible schedule. I don't need to ask my boss if I can take the day off or anything like that. Um, you know, I work from the comfort of home, etc. Mm. At the same time, you have to sort of arrange your own income. So um, there's a lot of risk involved. Um, I think I'm luckier than most because I had a, a game come out a while back that was successful enough that I, I, you know, I, I don't really have to worry about getting money to eat, um, at least for a while. But I'm, I'm always thinking, like, the, none of my income is guaranteed. You know, it all depends on people buying my games, and that could dry up tomorrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's looking, uh, I mean, if, if the last couple of weeks, and again, I don't want to beat over that dead horse too much, but, I mean, if the last couple of weeks have been in any indication, I think you are headed in the right, in the right direction, I would say. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it it's weird, like the different perspectives you can get on things. Because I've had some people tell me that I'm, you know, Darknet's really well known, and I'm, you know, ahead of the curve or some sort of variation on that. But at the same time, um, it's really not like that prevalent right now. Like maybe within a very insular community, um, people have heard of Darknet, but beyond that, um, there's a you know most people have no clue what my game is. Um, they're not really paying attention to the Oculus scene yet. You know, my traffic numbers on my website are not very high. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, it could definitely, you know, it could still crash and burn at this point. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm, I'm glad you keep a measure of, uh, I don't know, not uh, reality, <laughs> you know, not get, yeah. not, not, you know, not let yourself get taken away by the, the hype wave or the hype train. Um, so, right. yeah, good. Uh, do you, you know, uh, do you view uh, this, uh, you know, project as something that you want to turn into a, a career, or is this is this is virtual reality something that you want to stay a part of, or, or or what is your thought process in that? Um, I think virtual reality is a really really cool medium, um, and you know, a very inviting medium for games. I would say that game design is my career more than uh, virtual reality. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I if virtual reality doesn't happen, if it goes the way of 3D TVs or something, um, I'm going to go right back into designing games. And if I end up working further in, in virtual reality, it's going to be, you know, making the kind of games that I enjoy making. Mm. Um Cool. And so do you, uh, from a designer's perspective, is there really a big difference between designing a, a game uh, for VR versus, you know, your top of the mill uh, mm -hmm. uh, legacy interface? Yeah, I, uh, there definitely is. Um, but I think it's like, It's in, it's in perhaps more subtle ways than people normally expect. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's a lot of games that you can port to virtual reality that are, you know, just like any first-person shooter game or, like, games in which you're in a cockpit. And everyone thinks of those as, like, the, the first, most obvious applications for virtual reality. And I guess they're not wrong. Um, but I think you have to think hard about what the advantages of virtual reality are and what you can do in virtual reality that you can't do otherwise. And so some of those are, are really, um, are, are not that obvious. They're like the feeling of being surrounded is something that you couldn't do before or playing with, um, 3d depth is something that you couldn't do before. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that like horror games have, uh, gotten a, a really fantastic reception because those rely on what you can't see or like feelings of claustrophobia or something sneaking up behind you, things that sort of naturally lend themselves or are easy to discover in VR. 
for my own game, I, I'm sort of constantly on the lookout for ways to take advantage of VR that aren't necessarily obvious. And so I've got like levels that wrap around the player and surround you, um, you know, feelings of like acceleration and, and zooming into and out of the nodes of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to sort of get the right amount of like playful feeling of motion without making somebody sick. Um, I'm trying to, you know, have a variety of depth of objects so that some things seem really close to you because that can feel really cool. Mm-hmm. But if you do it too much, then everyone's constantly getting double vision. So I don't know. That, that's kind of a rambling answer, but I guess the, what I'm saying is there are a lot of subtle differences that can add up, and the difficulty is sort of paying attention to all of them, figuring out how to integrate it. How long? How how long did it take you to learn? Uh, you know those subtleties. Is I mean, is it still a learning process as we speak, or yeah. is it more like, yeah, it'll take you two months to pretty much get down the kinks? What do you think? I I mean, I think I'm definitely still figuring it out, um, and so is everyone else. Um, my expectation is that, um, you know, there's a lot of things that nobody knows. And nobody, like, pro- questions that no one has even thought to ask yet. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Darknet has kind of a weird um, way of presenting itself. Like, it's a first-person game, but it's a strategy game. And it's sort of like first-person moving from interface to interface in a particular way. Um, and that seems different to me than, like, first-person games where you're playing a human being who's sitting in the driver's seat or who's walking around an environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other things too, like there's uh, a demo called Iceland where you're just sort of floating above an Arctic landscape and you're, you know, it's just purely you're a camera that's, you know, going on the scenic journey. And I'm sure I can name other examples, but my point is like, there are lots of different ways of um, even like basically, basic ways of putting the player in the world, ways of casting the player. Um, and I, it could be that we haven't even tried out the good ways yet, that people are going to keep on figuring out different ways to make it a comfortable bridge to VR. Um, and you know, maybe like 10 years from now, it could be that all the good VR games are doing something that we haven't even invented yet from a design perspective. So I, I guess I'm trying to keep my... Uh, I'd like to be one of the games that sort of is figuring that out mm-hmm. and is on the, the frontier of it. But who knows? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like we're, we might be much more primitive than we think we are. It certainly feel. I mean, I'm not I'm not to knock on, 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 on VR developers, but it certainly feels like it is a budding uh, way of thinking, you know, trying to readjust your brain to think you know, from the user's perspective, you know, what is that user going to feel? What is that user going to see? So I think, I definitely think there will be room, plenty of room to grow. Um, And and do you think, is that the reason why the big publishers and big game studios are uh, not touching uh, or not outreaching to VR developers? Because they, they, they themselves don't know what it is that they, they, you know, that makes a game Mm -hmm. successful. Is that, is that one of the reasons you think? Yeah, I think that, you know, they are evaluating risk in a different way. Like, they, their costs would presumably be much higher. And so if it's not even clear whether, A, whether VR will succeed as a platform, and B, whether they know how to actually take advantage of VR, then the risk is just too high for most of them. Um, I think that's that's why it's so nice that we have a uh, an active developer community that's sort of doing a lot of experiments. Um, a lot of people, you know, myself included, have sort of committed to making a game um, so that we can finish something good in time for the launch of the Oculus Rift. But that also means that we're, you know, other people need to continue the the role of experimenting, you know, hmm. figuring out different ways of doing things. Because otherwise there we're going to, you know, the, the, the industry and the technology goes in stagnant already into the market. Is that what? Well, well, I, just because um, I think that experimentation is a good thing, and like someone like me, I sort of I developed CS. It worked pretty. It worked well. I I've tried to improve it for Darknet, and now I feel like I've sort of uh, um, I've played my I'm playing my hand. It's already been dealt to me, mm. and 
So, you know, I'm, I'm making Darknet. That's going to be my best shot at producing a really excellent virtual reality game. Yeah. Um, but there are tons of other different ways of doing it. And I'm no longer one of the people who's like experimenting with a bunch of different things. Um, you know, I sort of, I've designed and I, at this point I need to execute. And so from now until the launch of the Oculus Rift, I am in production mode, not experimentation mode. Oh, you know, that, thank you for clarifying that. I know that's definitely... And how does the not knowing when the Oculus Rift will get launched affect your, uh, you know, la your line of production? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's difficult, of course. What I've done is I've essentially written up a schedule for myself that's kind of a worst-case scenario um, schedule. Mm -hmm. Like... Uh, This, I, I set a date uh, that I think of as the earliest that I could possibly need the game to be done. And, um, you know, the hope is then that I, I'm sort of underestimating and that I'll have a couple extra uh, weeks or months or whatever for polish. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I, I still plan to have the game done and ready for launch. So we It's just going to be a lot of work. I, mean, I could imagine. So we've seen, you know, you... you cause kind of talked about how the mobile gaming uh you know sector of the industry is is quite crowded crowded and you know what how do you see the current vr developer um i don't know race so, you know is it is it is it getting crowded or is it barely getting started what do you feel like um i think it's not crowded right now mm -hmm. um I, it could be that i start to feel differently but um And, it, you know, it's hard to judge. From from my perspective, the VR exclusive games or the games that are, like, really, really being built around virtual reality are still pretty few and far between. Um, a lot more are going to start popping up, but those ones are going to have trouble, you know, finishing a, a new game in time um, for the launch of the Rift. Yeah. Beyond that, I think there's going to be a lot of games that are ported to virtual reality But as Palmer Lucky uh, said at the beginning of this year, um, ports don't work that well uh, for virtual reality, with exceptions. So it's not clear to me whether um, if there's a ton of ported games, they're going to uh, crowd the space or and, you know, muscle out some of the made-for-VR games, um, or whether they're, they're going to sort of naturally drift towards the bottom. Hmm. How many years do you think it'll take before virtual reality starts having a uh, you know a software production cycle? I mean, right now it's it's just everyone's everywhere trying to you know figure out when to launch, but but you know how the the gaming industry gets into these cycles of November, December, and and you know this spring is dry months. I mean, you know how long before it gets to that point? It, I mean, I, I take it it requires some more maturing, but do you have yeah. any? Well, I mean, I think that sort of that sort of pattern is just something that emerges naturally if you have a uh, powerful enough, you know, um, economic engine behind everything, mm -hmm. and you know, it, you get enough developers who who want to make for that uh, that environment. So, I mean, I think it just depends on uh, the launch of the Rift. I think it depends on whether VR sort of makes a big splash. Um, if it if VR ends up huge, if it's bigger than most people expect, then I think you're almost immediately going to see, um, you know, a surge of developer interest. And that's a great thing. Um, if it doesn't do that well, if it sort of just becomes like a curiosity or, you know, a peripheral for really hardcore players, um, then I think, you, well, I, I, you know, it's hard for me to, to judge because I don't really know much about software dev cycles or the wider industry. But I think it would be a lot quieter. Mm. What is what is successful to you in your mind? Uh, uh, you know, in terms of the Oculus Rift consumer version one, will, will success be defined by numbers, by publicity? Uh, you know, is it a million units sold? What is what do you think is uh, successful? And and if I don't, if you don't mind me asking, do you have an expected return on investment for for Darknet? And you know, I'm, don't don't feel like sharing it. By the way, you don't have to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, for the Rift, for like what success means, mm -hmm. obviously you can quantify. You know, you can judge it along different axes. So, I think one of their big 
successes would be just sort of becoming something that's socially acceptable. That's not just like a really nerdy thing for people who are, you know, isolating themselves. Uh, techno fetishism is a term that I've heard. Um, My favorite kind of fetish. Sorry. Um, so in terms of like market success, I do think it's going to come down to numbers probably. And I'm like no expert, Mm -hmm. but my, my impression, my imagination of this is that it's successful if it feels more like a console launch than a peripheral launch. So, um, you know, the Xbox and the PlayStation four, they were selling, um, a few million, um, in the months after release in that sort of holiday season, and I think if Oculus does that well, then it's going to be considered a big success. If it does better than that, if it sells, you know, several million um, in the first few months, then I think it's a, a big success. If it sells under a million, um, I, I really don't know what their, you know, financials are like, mm-hmm. what numbers they need. But I, I think that would be um, maybe not underwhelming, but not not sort of the world-transforming impact that a lot of VR enthusiasts have been you know, been hoping for. Yeah, it would still be hugely successful by Kickstarter standards, I mean. If, if, of course. But, yeah, I mean, it already is. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, go ahead. As for Darknet itself, you know, it's I've sort of, like, drawn up some numbers for, like, what I need to break even and things like that. But I... Uh, there's a lot in the air and the range is just so wide. Like it is so easy for an indie game to release and just disappear into the ether and like sell very few copies and be forgotten forever. Um, which is kind of what my Ouya game did to some extent. Um, and so I, I'm sort of keeping that in mind. And then on the other side of things, if you're one of the, the top, you know, 0.01% or whatever, then games can do extremely well. So, it's just such a crazy widespread. Um, I, it's too hard for me to sort of make a guess there. Yeah, you know, I, I completely understand. It's yeah, it's anybody's guess. Guess at this point, it's so early. Um, in terms of uh, you know your 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 working ethic, your work ethic, and how you go about. Uh, uh, designing and creating games. Can can you give me a glimpse into what that looks like? How how do you, for example, go off and make a game? What is your, you know, do you have like a, a notepad with a to do list? What does it look like? Um, it well, it takes various forms early on because mm-hmm. I can get an idea from anywhere. Um, I, I have like a Google Doc, you know, buried away that's called Game Ideas, and it's just this constantly growing series of games that I think would be interesting to make or at least prototype. Um, so usually the, there are a lot of those that are sort of bouncing around in my head at any given time. Um, so at some point, I, if I'm going to start working on them, I need, I, you know, start out with a prototype and I tend to be bad about actually carving out time to make them, which is why game jams have worked so well for me. Cause that's like, you know, somebody else is giving you a deadline and you have to finish this sort of at least prototype level game um, within that time. And so that's what inspired my Ouya game. That's what uh, created CS. Um, it's kind of what helps get me going. After that, there's, I, I, more recently, I've been spending a lot of time with like notebook and pencil. And I'll actually go places where I don't have any internet access because it's less distracting that way. And a lot of times we just sort of sit and think about, you know, brainstorm, design, um, kind of plot out what I need to do. And that's more the fun part. And now I'm sort of into the production part, which I don't enjoy quite as much, which is sitting in front of the computer and coding and working in Unity and actually building everything. And then after, after a long time of that, the game is done. Wow. And have you, uh, by the way, have you, have you considered Unreal Engine 4? Or, I mean, how, how how happy are you with Unity at this point? I'm really happy with Unity. Oh. Um, I, I had already bought a uh, Unity Pro license for um, for the Ouya game. Mm. Um, and so that wasn't kind of a, a part of the question for me. Um, mm. I know that's a big deal for people who are considering which engine to use for the first time. 
but uh, yeah, Unity has been amazing. I found it really easy to work with from, you know, I, I felt really comfortable with it from the first like two weeks that I uh, started using it. Mm. And um, the Unity Asset Store is a miracle. There's a lot of help online, really active community. Um, and so I've, I haven't even really considered moving to any other engine. Unity is just too widely supported as, you know, so many people behind it. Yeah. Just doesn't make sense to go to anything else for me. Cool. Have you, you know, going back to what you said earlier as an, as an indie developer yeah. who had a game, who, who was able to put out a game and then it sort of disappeared into the ether, how do you anticipate uh, doing differently this time around with, with Darknet? I mean, how, how you know, just fundamentally, how do indie developers, you know, keep their games, you know, in the public sphere? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's always going to be difficult. There's lots of answers to that. Um, common parts of those answers are going to be things like showing the game off at shows. So, like, I'm going to PAX East, I mentioned. Um talking about the game as much as possible, I guess, like I am right now. Uh, I've got a website with a blog I'm running and trying to do sort of an open development thing where I'm talking about the game at least every week. And I've got, like, a perpetual ask-me-anything going on on Reddit, um, plus Twitter account, Facebook account for people who want to follow everything there, etc. So I'm putting a lot more effort, first of all, into just telling people about the game. Mm-hmm. But the other side of things is... Um, you know, the platform itself. So, like, Ouya, um, Ouya did really well as a Kickstarter. Ouya did better than Oculus did. And um, I don't think, you know, the the hardware was shaping up to deliver in quite the same way. Um, it, it could just be, like, a difference in, you know, what people expected out of the Ouya or what they dreamt of and what it really delivered, because it did what it said it needed to do. Just by the time that Ouya came out, there wasn't that much demand for it, it seemed. So, uh, my game was one of the featured games at launch, but that didn't end up counting for much. And my hope is that with uh, Oculus, I can again be one of the more visible games at launch, and that this time it'll mean more. Because, you know, with the Ouya game, like, uh, it had to be free, uh, free to try, which I was okay with, but that meant a lot of people who were trying it out for the first time just downloaded the free trials of everything and then never bought anything. Um, or at least didn't buy my game. What and, is, yeah, you know, maybe with Oculus, people are going to be more interested in getting deeper experiences right off the bat. Yeah, that was that was the thing that I was going to go in the direction of because now that Oculus, uh, you know, is has this infusion of money and resources, I think you know it, it's looking a lot better for you. I mean, in terms of uh, just on the business aspect of this, uh, have you considered? Uh, partnering with a, a bigger company, publisher, whoever, and then you know, how do you work out those those deals between you, a small indie developer, and, and someone big who wants to throw money at you to say, hey, you know, make make this thing make this thing amazing for virtual reality? Have you thought about that? Um, a little bit. So. I don't think it makes that much sense for me to, to partner with a bigger company in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, what I've been doing so far, I, I designed the game to be something that I could build on my own. Um, you know, from the ground up, it's made to be a, like a one-man project. Um, that said, I've been trying to get help on sort of select parts of the game, so like music, art, uh, maybe certain aspects of programming. And um, that's going to sort of bring the budget up. Um, and that's coming straight out of my savings, which is a little scary. So it could be at some point that I um, try to get some sort of financial help to allay the risk of the game, to allow me to sort of get a little bit more help and go further and be more willing to part with money than I otherwise would be. Mm-hmm. And that would produce a better game. Um, but I that would be pretty small scale, you know? I don't think I the game would it would support a huge infusion of, you know, a million dollars or something. Um, it just, at this point, it would be tough to grow it in a, an elegant way. Mm. Yeah, it certainly seems like there is uh, a lot of uh, design that, that I can see is, is 
much of a labor of love to you. I figured it'd be difficult to, you know, all of a sudden have all, all this money and then you have to delegate and, and trust other people with, with your work, with your baby. I don't know. Um, but it's also just, um, I have sort of embraced the constraints of the project early on. I wrote a blog post about this actually. And, uh, I, I started with a quote that I really liked where, you know, somebody was saying like, if, if I'm asked, what would you do with a million dollars? My answer is probably something terrible. Like sometimes what makes a game or any creative project great is the limitations that you place on it at the beginning. Um, and so for me, you know, it's like, well, I, I can't do fancy art myself. And so I ended up with this game with this sort of interesting abstract art and that is part of the appeal of it. Um, or, you know, I, I can't afford to make a ton of content. And so I make a game that procedurally generates its, uh, its challenges and that also has sort of become one of the advantages, one of like the selling points of the game. If I had a lot more resources, I'm not even sure I would make something as good. Hmm. By the time the Oculus Rift gets launched, when everything is all said and done in, in terms of developing Darknet, uh, can you give us a glimpse into what you know, we could expect? Will there be multiplayer? Is that even a thing? Uh, will there be... Uh, leaderboards. Uh, I mean, uh, what uh, you know, what what sorts of things will uh, will we be able to be wowed by? Leaderboards. Leaderboards is multiplayer, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, like a side by side. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So uh, yeah, I I haven't started talking about that. I do have some ideas um, along those lines. Hmm. Um, but I'm not quite ready to sort of reveal that yet just because it's, it's still in the works and I don't want to promise anything I can't deliver on. Um, but I, I am planning to have sort of a, uh, a, a metagame layer on top of sort of the standard gameplay, sort of a reason why you are hacking into all of these uh, networks, a reason why you're taking on more difficult challenges, something to sort of motivate the player to continue playing. Oh. Um, I like I'm pretty that. interested about where that could go. Awesome, yeah, that sounds really good. Uh, in terms of story, I, I was gonna go in that you know in that direction and ask you about the story of the game. Is there is there an is there gonna be like a, a, a backdrop to what you are actually doing here? Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna have sort of some light uh, story that's partially at like to in, sort of introduce the player to the world mm -hmm. to. Um, you know, there's going to need to be sort of a period of where the game is teaching itself to you. And uh, I think stories really can be helpful for that. For the later parts of the game, um, I'm sort of going to abdicate from the story a little bit. And uh, that's going to tie in a little more with sort of the metagame stuff I was talking about earlier. Right. Hmm. What is your biggest challenge right now? <laughs> what, is, what, what are your biggest obstacles that you, that you face? Time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I've sort of been scheduling and rescheduling, trying to you know make sure that I'm fitting everything in. And right now, the numbers work out. Like, I think I can do it all if I can keep to my schedule. But uh, that's going to be really difficult. You know, I, I'm I'm being pretty ambitious, and there are not many features that I would be happy leaving out at this point. Like, there's so much that I've really fallen in love with that I I just I feel like I can't cut. So, um, so that leaves it up to me to sort of deliver on time. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, because we don't know what on time is, um, that's, I, I'm being really aggressive about it. So. Cause on time could mean, you know, winter 2014 maybe. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. What a, yeah. What an interesting race that you are in. <laughs> Do you we'll see? Um, I, I feel like there's other developers as well who might sort of, you know, I, I've seen some people who are saying like our game's going to be finished by December, and I, I'm sort of thinking, well, you know, the, the Oculus Rift could come out before then, mm -hmm. and um, it, I mean, it's not like every developer has to be a launch title. People are still going to be interested in getting software, you know, a month or two or three after release. I mean, presumably forever after release. But I do think that it's kind of cool to be right at the, the front line. 
Yeah, no, it's definitely it definitely is. I find it, you know, not just cool, but but more or less historic. Uh, I, and, you know, when I think about when the when the Oculus Rift gets released, I think about, I mean, what are some of the obstacles it will face? And I think that, um, you know, being a whole new hardware platform uh, that that it is, I don't know if consumers are going to be quite ready to. Um, uh, you know, to to know or or curate what good content is or or isn't, and I and I fear that they might not, you know, my, my people might be turned off by by that uh, by that fact. So I bring I bring up the Nintendo Wii that what they did was they you know they bundled up the hardware with the Wii Sports, and you had a demo demonstrations of what the hardware could do. I wonder if Oculus is. Is, is is thinking in those same lines and and i mean is is you know in this crazy world that we live in where everything is 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 possible you know facebook buys oculus uh, you know are you you know con- consider have you ever considered the idea of porting your game or not not porting but bundling your game with the oculus rift when it gets released i, I mean it's just it's one of those games you know you have one of those games that it's just you there's nowhere else where you know where you can experience darknet you, uh, except the oculus rift um well i i it's not the first time i've been asked about bundling um but i i don't, first of all i don't know if oculus is interested in that kind of thing mm-hmm. um secondly i don't know if darknet is quite the right fit for that because i am trying to make ultimately a, a pretty hardcore experience you know it's a deep strategy game that you're meant to play for a, a fairly long time and, um, you know, take some time to, to get into, to, like, learn it. Um, hopefully not very long. I, I hope to make it accessible. But it, depth is um, a higher priority for me. And so, you know, the wonderful thing about, like, Wii Sports is anybody can just, like, figure out how that works, can pick it up and play and have fun with it and really get the purpose of the hardware. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think there, there's probably going to be um, other, you know, other content that's made to be sort of introductory to the Rift. And um, that's kind of the, the better fit for bundling. Yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, <clears throat> in terms of input, and, and this is where I'd like to get your opinion on, uh, what do you think is the perfect input for virtual reality, you know, from a speak, you know, from a developer's point of view and designer and all that good stuff? Well, I mean, th- we could just say perfect input is, um, you know, a replication of reality, like something where I could, you know, reach out and touch something, you know, a, a virtual object and have it react mm. against my touch. Um, because then if we wanted to do that, heck, you could just code in your own mouse and keyboard in the virtual world if you felt like it. Um, obviously, that's not something that's going to be happening anytime soon. It's, you know, nowhere near feasible, tons of unsolved problems. That's far future stuff. In the near future, um, I think I am a lot more um, pessimistic about uh, you know motion control solutions than most other uh, VR enthusiasts, and that's because I think it's a lot like virtual reality vision. Um, if you don't get it perfect, people notice it's just really wrong. It, it doesn't feel good. You might think it's really cool and you might suffer through it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make it a good experience. So, like I, I have a Razer Hydra and. So far, I really haven't had great experiences with it. It's really neato. Um, you know, it's it's a cool gizmo. But I've had so many frustrating experiences trying to actually use it in a game. And, I'm you know, I, I've gotten to try out a couple other uh, motion control solutions. None of them seem like something that I really want to get behind or, or plan to use um, a lot. Hmm. So for me, early on, you know, this is... This is not answering what's the perfect VR input. But for Darknet, I'm focusing on what Oculus has said. You know, they said seated experiences and controller input um, for early on, for like first generation. So I'm making a game where you can experience it in full without motion controls, with just button presses, hmm. um, which is fine with me. You know, it, I, I feel like. Palmer has also made the comment that, like, a mouse in, and keyboard is a, a superhuman input. The idea being that, like, using a mouse to point and click at things is actually way more efficient than a lot of, like, Hollywood's vision of, uh, 
know, how it feature UIs might work. Mm-hmm. Waving your arms around gets tiring after a while, and so, you know, buttons have a place, even in the future. That is eye-opening that you said that, actually. Because <laughs> we all, yeah, we all dream of that minority report moment. Um, mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I could see myself, after 10 minutes of flailing my arms around, feeling, damn, this is really tired, where is my mouse and keyboard? <laughs> That's... yeah. I, like, never... I don't want to be too down on it because there's so many cool things you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people who are excited about just the stuff that mimics reality in some way. You know, you're, you're using the STEM controller or something to represent a gun or to, you know, to reach out and pick things up in the world. Um, and that could be really cool for select games. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Wii Sports, we were just talking about, that was a Wii Sports controllers were a good fit. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that they're the end-all, be-all. You know, I, I think even though we have the Wii, nobody wants to uh, do their web browsing or whatever um, without a mouse or a touchscreen. Yeah. I tried. I tried using my Wii to browse the web, and it was uh, a pain in the ass. <laughs> to the Leap Motion actually offers some, you know, ways to do that, where you can, you know, you can click on things and you can scroll um, using your hand movements. Mm-hmm. But I think that sort of um, demonstrates some of the, the challenges or the, the problems that are going to, you know, to come up with motion controls. Where like, if it's not perfect, if you're, it's occasionally losing track of where your fingers are, it becomes really frustrating. I agree. Um, and, you know, you're holding your hands out in front of, you know, floating above the screen does get tiring after a while. And, after, you know, it's sort of like, why, why bother? You know, we've, it, we've gotten really good about um, dealing with windows and tabs and buttons on, a, you know, on a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to take a long time, I think, before virtual reality brings us to, you know, that software matures to the point that it's better than what we have right now. What do you think it'll take for virtual reality to make that leap? I mean, what is it that it's missing right now? I mean, if I knew the answer to that, I'm sure I'd be pursuing it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's one of those things that probably is going to need all that experimentation that we talked about early on. Yeah. Um, And I, I think if virtual reality um, succeeds as, (coughs) sorry, Mm -hmm. if it succeeds as an entertainment medium, then you're going to get enough interest from uh, developers and the wider public that people are going to start experimenting with things. Mm-hmm. And eventually they're going to start figuring out um, what patterns are you know work best and what applications are the best fit for the technology and maybe you know start playing around with motion controls and things like that. Um, I think you saw like a similar process take place with uh, touch screens on mobile phones where once app development was opened up, there were a lot of games with terrible uh, controls in them. And only recently have we started to get, you know, generally pretty good about that, like understanding what feels good um, on a screen, a touchscreen. Yeah. Yeah, it's surprising how much uh, amazing technology surrounds us and how... Yeah, I, I, you know, just how you're saying, like, you know, you think that we are witnessing the birth of virtual reality, and you know, to the layman, this, you know, speaking to you would feel like, man, this guy is straight up knows everything about virtual reality. But even you will admit that there is so much yet to learn. Um, and and it's, I think, I feel like it's the same way with almost everything: controllers, touch screens. Uh, yeah, there's there's unknown unknowns. Yeah. Things that we don't even know, we don't know. It's humbling. It's definitely a humbling thing to think about because uh, at the same time, it's extremely exciting because we, I, I have no idea where this is all going to end up. I mean, if you, what is what is a dream to, for you? Where do you dream for this all to end up? Uh, virtual reality, dark net, your careers and your goals, all that good stuff. Ah. Uh. I don't know. I truth is, I you know, I came to virtual reality through games. 
Um, whereas I think other virtual reality enthusiasts came to it um, with the, you know a dream at, at, intact from the beginning, a, a vision of the metaverse or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and that's not really how I came to it. Like I, I could imagine that being very cool. Um, I could imagine like living a world that's mediated through this technology. Um, but the reason I can imagine that is because I'm already doing that. Like I already spend almost my you know entire day um, on a computer. And I'm very comfortable with that. So I, I could imagine like that changing shape in different ways. Maybe, you know, it's a different interface. Maybe I can like, you know, be in some virtual paradise or something um, as I'm, you know, living out my life through technology. But I, I don't necessarily have like an endpoint in mind that I'm trying to get to. Hmm. Yeah, that makes the journey, I feel like, that much more exciting. <laughs> yeah, and, and part of it is I feel like I don't have... Um, a ton of control over it. Like, I I think other people, I I don't mean like we're inevitably headed towards some, you know, dystopian future or something like that. I just mean, um, there's, the answer is out there. Like if there's a really good way of using virtual reality, eventually we're going to land on it. Um, because I know other people are excited about this and are pursuing that angle. And so I'm, I'm happy to be followed by them. Like I, I'm trying to make a really good, game for early virtual reality Mm -hmm. um if other people are working on making you know much more expansive software for more mature virtual reality i'm happy to follow them one of the paths that that leads me to think in is you know the thing that i honestly think virtual reality you know the ultimate input device is figuring out how to you know, pick up brain signals and, and, and mm-hmm. having you interpret those brain signals as, because your, your, you know, your game CS is, is amazingly simple and yet complex and full of, uh, you know, the, the nuances that you, once you start picking them up, like, Oh, this feels right. And I would, you know, just a simple, uh, emotive epoch, for example, strapping, you know, hooked to, to my laptop, picking up signals, you know, I, I had a demo, I tried this demo at this conference, App Nation, uh, a few months ago, where this developer was showing you um, a, 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 a car, uh, and he had this machine, this little machine that could pick up your brain signals when you were focused on the car, and so the car would flip, uh, the you know, the moment the your brain signal picked up in that direction. I figured it wouldn't be that hard, but then again, I'm talking out of my butt, you know. It wouldn't be that hard to integrate something like that where I'm playing CS and I look at the node that I want to attack and I just go in that direction, you know. But again, again, yeah. I'm talking out of my butt. Well, yeah. I, I've, uh, I haven't gotten a chance to try the Emotive Epoch myself. I've gotten to try other um, similar sort of EEG-style brain input devices. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and my experience and my understanding of them is like, they uh, they can only detect really general things um, reliably. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's, re- it's pretty tough for it to, you know, be able to like, fire off, teach your brain to fire off certain inputs reliably, like, you know, left or right or something. Mm-hmm. Um Instead, it's better at just sort of detecting, like, how focused you are or something like that. So um, the, the demos that work really well for those things tend to be a demo where you can only do one thing. It's like, focus on the car and try to make it flip, and eventually the car will flip. Um, when it's other things, when it's like you're trying to control um, a choice or, like, movements, it tends to be a lot harder to use. Like, it'll, it'll accidentally read the wrong inputs or, you know, it's just too hard to, it's only using a couple of different sensors. And so it's hard for it to get a high enough resolution image of your brain essentially to, uh, to know what's going on. So again, I'm sort of like the downer, you know, um, ruining everybody's fun, but (laughs) like those things, they, they would need a lot more work. Um, and I don't think they sort of have like the the resolution, the sensing ability right now to um, to become like a viable means of control. Mm. 
Is it, is it a matter of funding? Is it a matter of finding that rich person that doesn't have any, you know, that doesn't have any, uh, anything to do with their money, uh, and, and then just telling them, hey, you know, I can find you the best people on earth that can work on this and put out a product that has, that has, that will have no rival. I mean, is that, is that the matter that there isn't enough people with, you know, with the money, with the resources to, that, to put the brain power into it, into this because it's so fringe? Or is or am I completely wrong? I mean, what do you think in the, in terms of what is stopping this? I, I think um, the probably the technology is just not quite there yet, mm -hmm. um, and it also could be like we we you know it, we still have such a vague understanding of um, how our brains work that it's it's probably really just a difficult problem to begin with. So like I, I think probably the path to success is something akin to the rift, where you know Palmer didn't show up and say like. I think I can solve this problem, you know, give me money. Um, he started out with a prototype. Like, you know, he discovered that he was able, thankfully, to hack it together, you know, with affordable parts. And he could show that to John Carmack and then, you know, sort of get some momentum building, get a bunch of uh, really respected people to, you know, speak for him and then launch a Kickstarter, you know, that kind of got it all going. Um, but the proof of concept came first. So I think somewhere... You know, in, in this case, for something like uh, brain input, you might need someone in a lab somewhere to finally make it work. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I actually think that's probably a, a much more difficult problem than VR. And goodness knows VR is difficult enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's I, you know, in my in my mind, my crazy mind, yeah. I think it's uh, in the future it will be the. I don't know. It'll be the. It would standard. be bigger than the Oculus Rift, I bet. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, or it'll be the standard input, you know, to control Facebook the computer. Facebook will buy world. you for three billion. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Immediately. Um, so, it, you're you're you know you come from the the game world into the virtual reality sphere. You're are you a gamer? I mean, what? Oh yeah. What do you What are you most interested in? What kind of games do you like to play? Um, I tend to play fair number of like uh, strategy. I tend to like turn-based strategy um, and I grew up on RTSs mm. um, and a lot of just like the big games out there. You know, I've, I've definitely played a lot of first-person shooters and um, big fan of a lot of role-playing games. I tend, to, I tend to not do so much like simulation or racing or sports games. Um, I own consoles, but I didn't grow up playing them, and I don't play much of them now. It's usually only like certain games that are only available on consoles. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, most recently I've been playing mostly indie games, and so those are often really hard to put into a, like a, a genre box, mm. um, you know, with exceptions. Um, but I'm trying to think of like the last games that I actually played through all the way. Probably uh, the Banner Saga and um, Broken Age, the Double Fine Adventure. Wow. Both of which were Kickstarters. So apparently my life revolves around Kickstarter products. <laughs> what, is, what are your top five favorite games of all time? If you had to name five. Well, that's tough. Yeah, um, probably top one is uh, Morrowind. The Elder Scrolls Three Morrowind. Oh. I was a stupidly hardcore fan about that game, um, which I could talk about for a long time. Um, Mass Effect series, um, my favorite among those, probably Mass Effect 2. Same here. Mass Effect 3, I really liked those. Um, possibly, I'm trying to think of games that I just got obsessed about for some time. Battlefield 1942 mm. might have been my favorite, um, first person shooter of all time. Not, you know, nowadays it's obviously outclassed by other things, but in its time, I think it was a huge step forward. Yeah. Um, possibly something like Braid, um, hmm. the indie puzzle game. Yeah. And right. I still have one spot left. Gosh. Yeah, if I were wow. to drop you in the middle of an island with just five <laughs> games for the rest of your life. See, whenever somebody gives me one of those hypotheticals, I'm the asshole who starts like treating it like a picking it apart like a lawyer, <laughs> like figuring out. Well, then I don't want my favorite games. I want the games that will last the longest. And, you know, okay, well, we need to negotiate. Do I have an internet source and power supplies? And blah, blah, blah. 
Well, we but we can I go that route if you want. I mean, I don't. I we can we can tangle two can tangle on this one. Uh, but uh, yeah, you have no internet. You have uh only one solar panel as your sustainable power source, <laughs> and yes, you will be stuck there. Let's make it thirty years. Yeah. I mean, probably I like I pick something that lets me call for help. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, but that's, I, I mean, I've been playing games my whole life. Yeah. Right? And I sometimes have sort of uh, dry spells where I don't play anything for a good while, which I, I'd say is probably me right now because you know I I worked hard to make time for the Banner Saga and Broken Age before GDC, mm-hmm. um, and. Now it's like I'm looking in my schedule in the future, and it's like I'm not going to have any time for games for like months. Well, um, speaking of your list, I uh, I, I am a total fan of Mass Effect. Uh, Mass Effect Two. I um, you know my main goal in it was to find a way to have sex with Miranda. Um, <laughs> great game. Uh, then 1942. I played on PSN. I played 1941, and I think it's uh, mm-hmm. maybe a port over. I'm not sure, but beautiful beautiful looking game and i remember feeling uh, you know you you start you start getting into that game and it's just getting adjusted to the world war 2 weapons i mean that's it's a whole new different universe to think that people used to shoot guns like that you know that responded that way and had that well once upon a time like every game was a world war 2 shooter you know yeah the, it, the market was flooded for for a while. I remember that. And then it was like a breath of fresh air when finally modern military shooters started coming out. And then, now it's the opposite. And now it's, yeah, and now there's it's um, a modern military shooter fatigue. Uh, so we're moving on to futuristic. Yep. <laughs> Obviously those are the only three categories in which you can make games, so I don't know what they're going to do after that. I hope Maybe they just start over. I hope they bring back time travel games. The time tra- travel. Uh, I don't know if there's time splitters. Was a pretty interesting first person shooter where you were we were traveling through time. I think I rented that once. Yeah, it wasn't very good, but I I, I mean, if they need ideas, they could always <laughs> yeah. go into time travel. Braid's the better time travel game. I, I insist. You know, tell me about Braid because I never, you know, blasphemously speaking, I've never been able to touch it. Yeah, it's uh, I mean it's a, it's a puzzle game, a puzzle platformer um, made in uh, I think two thousand six, seven, eight, um, but it was one of the first like really big indie game hits mm-hmm. um, on Xbox Live Arcade, and it's it's just really really well designed. It's a very dense game, um, it presents itself really well, and it's just excellent uh, mind bending puzzles where you need to think about time in different ways in every like world stage. So, you know, the, the rules of time are constantly, are, you know, are changing on you mm-hmm. and you need to, um, sort of creatively adjust your thinking to, uh, to conquer them. Yeah. And there, there's a lot more to be said about that on, in terms of like story and all that. But I think that's sort of where it, um, where the genius of that game lies. Hmm. You know, speaking of indie game development and Braid, you know, I did watch. I remember watching this movie on Netflix where they were documenting uh, the Braid creator, the guys from Super Meat Boy, and it was just it, it was a really well done story. And I, yeah, and I think, uh, indie game the movie. Yeah, it's a, it, yeah, very well done. And I and I feel like uh, you know when I when I interact with developers such as yourselves, I, I wish I understood what. You know what is motivating you personally? Because I feel like I see you know the documentaries like that, and I think they give me the impression that all or a lot of indie game developers are are thinking about doing this so that they can make that one game that'll give them that notch status where they'll never have to work a day in their lives. I mean, for you, what is what is what is personally motivating you to keep making games? And you know, are you also planning on getting notched? You know, or want that status of, of celebrity. I wouldn't say no to it, but, yeah. uh, but for me, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be making games regardless of how Darknet goes or anything else, or, you know, even if I was working on a different game, um, you know, Darknet is not sort of the end all be all of it for me. It's, it's one of my many dream games that I could be working on. Um, so like my motivation is the love of game design itself. Um, it's not a particular game that I needed to make. It's not that I have like a message coded deep inside me that I'm just trying to get out or something like that. And it's not 
um, a certain level of market success because I think indie games are a terrible field to go into if you're looking to uh, to get rich reliably. Hmm. What up for me? It's just I really love thinking about gameplay. Um, you know, I I find it incredibly fascinating, and you know, if I wasn't working in games, I'd still be collecting game ideas constantly because that that part is just what happens naturally to me. I can't turn it off. You know, I'll, I'll look at weird patterns in the floor or something and accidentally start designing game rules for it as if it was a board. Um, that's just how my mind is wired. And, you know, I've, I've enjoyed games so much. I've had so many powerful experiences with them that it's never been a question for me. Um, I, I feel very lucky that early on I knew what I... I wanted to do and uh now i have the ability to pursue it so that's what i'm doing mr e mcneil it's been truly an honor and a pleasure to to get to share you know have have you share your passion with me and and the rest of my listeners um i gotta thank you one more time for being such a wonderful uh true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality um how can people likewise thank you for having me on thank you how how, how can people stay up to date how can people follow up with what you're up to all that good stuff so that, you know, they can keep supporting what you're, what you're doing. Well, as I mentioned, um, Darknet has its own website at darknetgame.com, and there are links on there for Twitter, Facebook, mailing list, um, however you prefer to uh, keep up to date. Probably the best is um, the game's dedicated subreddit, which is rdarkcom. Um, there's a link on the website for that as well, and I'm running a perpetual Ask Me Anything thread there. So feel free to stop by and ask any questions you might have. Awesome. All the links will be posted in the show notes. Again, thank you, Mr. E. McNeil. Thank you.